Chapter Thirty One of the Mansion of Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Friday. The Mansion of Mystery by Chester K. Steele. Chapter Thirty One Light at Last. Conclusion. As soon as Adam Adams returned to Sidham, he communicated with the chief of police, and with several other persons, and also sent two telegrams to New York. He tried to find Charles Vapp, but could not locate his assistant. The detective's plans were laid with care, and he gave the posse of men under him minute instructions as to what to do. In the midst of the work, Raymond and Tom Ostrello appeared. "'Let me go along,' said Raymond. "'I want to do my little towards rounding that gang up.' "'And so do I.' came from the young commercial traveller. "'You may go as far as Stiles' farm, if you wish,' said Adam Adams. "'But why not look for Miss Langmore instead?' At this Raymond's face grew troubled. "'We have looked everywhere,' he began. "'As you please.' It was not long after this that a portion of the party set out, to be followed presently by the rest. The men did not keep together, but scattered in a wide semicircle, and then in a circle, which completely surrounded the Stiles farm and the old mill and its vicinity. As they approached the farm, they saw the man called Bart come out and walk towards the barn. He was promptly arrested by Adam Adams and was asked where Matlock Stiles could be found. "'I don't know,' he answered sullenly. "'I don't know why you are arresting me. I haven't done anything wrong.' "'We'll see about that later,' returned the detective, and when the man wanted to blow a whistle he carried, promptly prevented it and took the whistle away. Then the man was compelled to quiet the dogs, which he did with bad grace. In the kitchen of the house they found the old woman, who gave a cry of alarm when told that she must give herself up to the law. "'Sure I didn't have anything to do with it,' she wailed. "'I—I I didn't touch the young lady.' "'What's that?' cried Raymond, stepping forward. "'I didn't touch the young lady, sir. I offered her something to eat, that's all.' "'Can she mean Margaret?' whispered Tom Ostrello. "'Where did you meet Miss Langmore?' demanded Raymond sharply. "'Up at the old cottage on the hill. I—I I didn't take her there. It was—' She stopped short. "'I can't tell you. Matt would kill me,' she whined. "'See here, tell all you know,' came sternly from Adam Adams. "'I know you. You once ran a baby farm, and a baby died. And I know how.' The old woman gave a shriek and fell on her knees, rocking to and fro. "'I knew it. I knew it would come.' It can't be hid any longer. Yes, I did it. Where is Miss Langmore? demanded Raymond impatiently. At the cottage on the hill. Matt took her there. He's in love with her. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. She began to rock to and fro again. I knew it would come. Murder will out, they say. Take us to that cottage and be quick about it, said Raymond. Will you go along? he asked of Adam Adams and Tom Ostrello. They said they would and set off without delay. It was rather a long walk, and the old woman was out of breath when they reached the building near the top of the hill. "'Watch her,' said the detective to Tom Ostrello, and he and Raymond entered the cottage. As they did so, they stumbled over a person lying on the floor. "'Margaret!' burst out the young man, and caught his sweetheart in his arms. Then he gave a gasp, and staggered with his burden to the bed. "'She is dead!' "'Dead!' ejaculated Adam Adams. "'You are certain?' He placed his ear to her heart. No, she still lives. But what does this mean? Margaret, Margaret, speak to me. 
What has happened to you? The girl offered no reply, nor did she open her eyes. She rested on him and on the bed like a leaden weight. He kissed her fondly, a great agony filling his soul. Adam Adams looked around the room. On the table rested a glass, with a dirty substance at the bottom. He tasted the stuff. It was Swedishly bitter. He ran outside. "'Tell me at once. Did Matlock Stiles say anything about poisoning this young lady?' he demanded, catching the old woman by the arm. "'The truth now, remember?' "'No. He didn't say anything. But he had some poison. A powder. You put it in water. It kills a person in six to ten hours, sure. We must have a doctor.' Tom Ostrello had heard the talk and saw what had happened. "'I'll get a doctor, if you'll watch the old woman. I can get a horse at Stiles' farm.' "'Do it, and hurry!' cried Raymond. "'Take the best horse and bring the doctor at once. Tell him it is poison, a powder in water. Offer him any amount of money.' "'I will!' Ostrello shouted back. He was running down the hill-path with the swiftness of a college sprinter. In a moment the bushes hid him from sight. Adam Adams was talking to the old woman. You know about the poison. Is there nothing we can give her to counteract the effects? Do something, and I'll not be so hard on you when you stand up for trial. I can do nothing. But wait! Yes, I can! Make a fire, and boil some water. She ran to the back of the cottage, and to some bushes growing close at hand. With her bare hands she dug at the roots and tore them up, stripping off the bark with her teeth. Adam Adams comprehended, and lit a fire, and set on the kettle to boil. Then the roots were placed in the boiling water. "'Make her drink. It will do her good,' said the old woman. "'I swear it will help, at least a little, until the doctor comes.' And with shaking hands she poured the concoction she had made into a saucer to cool. It was no easy matter to get Margaret to swallow, but after a while it was accomplished, and her heart appeared to beat a trifle more steadily. But still she did not rouse up or open her eyes, and Raymond was as depressed as before. "'We can't overcome the effects of the drug,' he groaned. Oh, if only the doctor would come! Give her some more, said the old woman. Give her all of it. And this was done. Slowly the time dragged by, until they heard a shouting in the distance, followed by a pistol shot. Then two horses burst into view, one ridden by Ostrello, and the other by a doctor who lived not a great distance away. I will do all I can, said the physician, as he leaped to the ground. He set to work at once, meanwhile questioning the old woman regarding what had already been done. That was all right. It has helped to put the patient into a perspiration and keep up the heart action. Another doctor's also coming, said Ostrello to Raymond and the detective. In that case I'll join my men, came from Adam Adams. By that pistol shot something must be doing. I will be back later. See that that old woman does not get away. And he was off. Something was indeed doing. The old mill had been surrounded, and the chief of police had entered the building, followed by several other men of the party. The counterfeiters were taken by surprise, but they did not give up at once. Some began to fight, and in the melee two were seriously wounded. Then all but three surrendered, these three doing what they could to get out by a back way. One of the three was Matlock Stiles. The three men came out in the woods, and one was quickly shot in the leg and fell headlong among the trees. Seeing this, the second man shouted that he would surrender, and threw up his arms as a signal. "'You bloomin' fool! I'll not surrender!' cried Matlock Stiles, and ran on, through the woods, and up the hill that led to the cottage. He was still some distance off when Adam Adams saw him coming. The detective had his pistol in hand. "'Stop, Stiles, or I'll fire on you!' he called out. For an answer, the Englishman raised his own pistol, and fired point-blank, 
the bullet cutting through the loose flap of Adam Adams' coat. Then the Englishman went down, with a bullet in his left side. When Adam Adams ran up to him, he was twisting and breathing heavily. "'You've done me up, hang you!' he gasped. "'Oh, if I only could get at you!' And he tried to crawl towards his pistol, but Adam Adams promptly kicked it out of the way. "'You're down and out, Stiles,' said the detective. "'It won't do you any good to squirm. You are in the hands of the law.' "'What for, counterfeiting?' "'That and worse.' "'Worse?' "'Yes, a good deal worse. Murder.' By nightfall all of the prisoners were either in the jail or at the hospital at Sidham. Some of the Secret Service authorities from New York had arrived, and to them Adam Adams turned over the case, so far as it related to the counterfeiters. "'I did not start out to round up such a gang,' he said, in speaking of the affair to Mr. Breslow some days later. "'I came here to clear up the murder mystery.' "'But you get the credit, Adams,' said the head of the Secret Service detail. "'And you deserve it. "'But do you think you are going to convict Matlock Styles of the tragedy?' "'It's a sure thing. "'The alibi won't bother me, for I can now prove it was a bogus one. "'John Watkins got the poison for him, "'and promised to impersonate him at Stony Hill while the crime was being committed. "'He did it, but I have found two people who thought it was not Styles after all. "'Watkins himself is willing to testify that he did the impersonating.' How did they happen to use that strange powder? Watkins got it from a friend of his, who afterwards mentioned the fact to Tom Ostrello. When Stiles got it, I suppose he thought the use of it might throw suspicion on Ostrello, which it did. Then suspicion was also thrown on Miss Langmore, so that the general public might get tangled up. Did Stiles write that note, which was supposed to have been written by Mr. Langmore, saying she must obey or leave the house? Yes. He is an expert penman and most likely a regular forger as well as counterfeiter. He only made a mistake when he drank too much. Did Watkins know any of the details of the murder? Yes. After it was over, Stiles came to him and told his story, being half drunk at the time. He said he left home and came through the woods, where he saw Tom Ostrello just coming from the Langmore mansion. As soon as the coast seemed clear, he ran past the bushes and got in the house by a window. He found Mr. Langmore in the library and asked again for the counterfeits. Langmore said he was going to give them to the authorities and expose Stiles. Then the Englishman said he would explain, and Langmore sat down in his chair to listen. Stiles turned around, took some cotton from his pocket, and saturated it with the powder, and sprang at Langmore from behind. The victim struggled, and got his face scratched from the Englishman's ring. Langmore was no match for his assailant, and in a minute the murder was done. Then Stiles ran upstairs. He knew the servant was in the barn, and he heard Miss Langmore playing on the piano in the parlor. He met Mrs. Langmore just coming from her room. She was scared, but before she could scream or resist, he gave her what was left of the powder, and she fell over where she was found. Then he stepped out of an upper window to the top of the piazza, and dropped to the ground, and came away across the brook and through the woods. Then you are bound to convict him. What of Watkins? I'll use him as a witness against Stiles in the murder trial, and then you can have him tried as a counterfeiter. The old woman will also prove a good witness. She is so old, and has promised to reform, so there is no use of our pushing a charge against her. The rest of the crowd will all get what they deserve. I'm glad we got the bogus printing plates. Have you heard anything of the Langmore estate? Yes. Mr. Langmore left his wife her legal share, and the balance to his daughters, Margaret getting a little the larger portion. Mrs. Langmore leaves her money to her sons, one-fourth to Dick, the spendthrift, and three-fourths to Tom. I have also rooted out some papers among Stiles' effects, which will give Tom Ostrello his patent back, and also give some patent rights to Mr. Langmore's estate. 
I can tell you, Matlock Styles was a deep one. It was only once in a great while that he drank and bungled. Well, the greatest of criminals have their weak spots, you know that as well as I do. Styles, I suppose, also got up that bogus confession, signed in Miss Langmore's name. He did. When he found the girl wouldn't marry him, he was wild and ready for any treachery. And how is the girl doing? I'm going to see now. When out on the street, Adam Adams ran into Tom Ostrello, arm in arm with Letty. He was amazed for an instant, and then his face broke into a smile. "'I just couldn't help it, Uncle Adam,' cried the girl. "'I had to come here to congratulate Tom on his escape.' "'Well, I don't blame you, Letty. Yes, it has turned out well for you. I hope it turns out as well for Miss Langmore and Mr. Case.' Margaret was again at Martha Sampson's cottage. When the detective entered, he heard a murmur of voices in one of the upper rooms. He ran upstairs, to find the girl sitting up in bed, and Raymond by her side. The young man's face was filled with happiness. "'Come in, come in!' he cried joyously. "'She's come around all right, Mr. Adams. She's a little weak still, but the doctor says she will be well as ever in a week or ten days. The good news has braced her up wonderfully.' "'And I'll do to you, Mr. Adams,' said the girl. "'Oh, how can I ever thank you enough?' She clasped his hand warmly. "'You are so good!' "'This is certainly famous.' he replied, sitting down at the foot of the bed. It's the best news yet. I have just left one happy couple, and here I find another. You mean Tom Ostrello and that young lady from your office? asked Raymond. And then, as the detective nodded, he went on. I met them, and I asked them to come here. Margaret wanted to see them. I wish Tom to know that I want to be friends, always, said Margaret. We have had enough of trouble in the family, and when he gets married, I want to be friends with his wife, too. I'm glad to hear that for I know it will please Letty, and she is a good girl. It may be. Here they come now. A minute later the newcomers were ushered into the sick room, and the two girls, who had never met, were introduced to each other. It was a happy meeting all around, and the lovers were all as devoted as lovers can well be. Seeing this, Adam Adams thought it about time to leave. I am going now, he said, and stopped at the door. So soon? asked Margaret. Yes, I have another important case on hand answered Adam Adams. "'Another case?' queried Tom Ostrello. "'Well, I wish you luck, I am sure.' "'We all do,' chimed in Raymond. "'What is it?' queried Letty. Adam Adams smiled broadly. "'As you are no longer connected with the office, I cannot tell you,' he said. "'Maybe I can guess it,' cried Raymond. "'The disappearance of John Darr, the case all New York is talking about.' Adam Adams smiled faintly. "'You've struck it,' he said. It is a wonderful case, and will demand all of my attention. But I'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, I want you all to remember that you owe me an invitation. An invitation to what? asked both girls in a breath, and knowing perfectly well what he meant. An invitation to the weddings when they come off. Oh! came in a little feminine shriek. Well, you get them, said Raymond. Indeed he does, said Tom. And he did. End of chapter 31 Recording by Amanda Friday End of The Mansion of Mystery by Chester K. Steele